Is she here yet? Not yet, ma'am, no. Then she's late. Yes, she is late. Your Royal Highness. Mummy! <laughs> family are all gathered in the drawing room. They are waiting. serious about you. So stand very still and smile a lot. They know everything. They don't. Mummy, what happened to make you so sad? Well, here, in this house, there is no future. Past and the present are the same thing. Diana. They can't change. You have to change. You have to be able to do things you hate. You hate? There has to be two of you. It's the real one <laughs> and the one they take pictures of. <laughs> Diana, for the good of the country. Of the country? Welcome to the Strange Harbors podcast, a weekly discussion of film, television, and pop culture. My name is Jeff Zhang, and tonight I'm joined by Amir Ture and Eric Wong. So tonight we are discussing Pablo Lorraine's latest film, a spiritual successor of sorts to 2016's Jackie. Of course, we're talking about Spencer, starring Kristen Stewart as Princess Diana. So I'm a big horror movie person, so... I get really excited when I go into a movie not expecting a horror movie and get a horror movie, (laughs) Um, which this movie sort of is. And I've seen it twice, actually. I saw it at a screening by myself, and then I took my wife last week to see it. First, Jeff, I've been dying to know, did you see the Matt Damon trailer? I did not, because we went to... (laughs) Wait, is the Matt Damon trailer, is that an AMC thing, or is that a... I was at Regal. Uh, Yeah, I think it's a Regal thing, because I I I went went to Regal, too. I went to Regal for this, and I didn't see it. Oh, I didn't see the really? Damon Crypto thing. All right, Everyone's well. been complaining about it, but I didn't see it. So it's awful. I, I was fucking dodged a bullet. <laughs> <laughs> but my screening was all messed up. They didn't turn the lights off until like 20 minutes into the movie. Oh, shit, that's serious? I was like, uh, what the fuck? Uh, what kind of like ramshackle operation is this? And then people were like talking. Are you guys like not that person to leave and go complain about that like right away? I was going to, but then like someone beat me to it. So I was like, all right. Okay. And then they uh, still took 20 minutes to turn it off? Well, I mean, I think they left like 10 minutes after the movie started and like they still didn't turn the lights off and then Mm -hmm. took them another 10 minutes to get someone, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. I guess someone actually has to do it. It's not like automatic once the showtime. I mean, I guess that makes sense because like, I don't think shit's that sophisticated. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I've been looking forward to this movie for a really long time. I'm a big fan of Pablo Lorraine. 
I really loved his 2016 movie Jackie with Natalie Portman playing Jackie Onassis. And this is very much like in the same vein. I think calling it a biopic would be kind of a stretch. Mm -hmm. Jackie took place over a short period of time. And then this one is even shorter. This is three days, uh, right? It's Christmas Eve, Christmas and Boxing Day. That's right, um, yeah. Just call it the fucking day after Christmas. And boxing Day, <laughs> who calls it that? Uh, I'm going to hard disagree there. Uh, you like Boxing Day? <laughs> parents are both uh, from former British colonies, and I've heard Boxing Day growing up, so I like that. You should be rebelling okay. against your colonizers. Come <laughs> on. <laughs> Yo, it's a good name. Uh, what's the origin of the name Boxing Day? Dude, hell if I know. Well, you just said it's a good name. <laughs> it's a good it's name. Just, it's just catchy. I know where it's it came catchy. from. Oh, you just think it's catchy. Like, yeah. <laughs> I'm glad it has a name. But yeah, I mean, I like Kristen Stewart a lot. And I've been dying to see this, and I'm glad it delivered. What about you guys? When did you guys see it? Wait, wait. So Pablo Lorraine, have you seen anything of his besides Jackie? I saw Emma this year, um, another one of his movies. Uh, it's like a drama. It's pretty good. Lisey's story on Apple TV, which is a Stephen King adaptation, not as good. <laughs> mm. I don't think like his style really fits like long-form episodic storytelling. Uh, it just kind of lost me. Mm. But I've seen Naruto a long time ago, maybe a couple years ago. Another one of his, like, biographical dramas. I mean, people say a lot of his early work is really great, too. But I, I just haven't gone down that rabbit hole. So I'm eager to, to check that out, too. Yeah, I mean, I guess No in 2012 was Academy Award nominated. Yeah, yeah. And Jackie. And now it looks like this probably will be, too, right? Yeah. I think the awards buzz is just, like, Kristen Stewart's got that shit on lock. Mm-hmm. Lock to win or lock to nominate? Lock, I mean, definitely nominate. Right? Lock to win. Oh, really? I think she's got like a death grip on that thing. It's going to be a huge upset if she loses to anything else. I don't know what else. She's is even excellent. Like she's so good at yeah. this. She's excellent. So after the second time I went to see this, I went back online to watch like archival footage of Diana, and she's fucking spot on. I think Natalie Portman's spot on as Jackie, too. Kudos to them to really get the spirit of these people in these performances because uh, Kristen Stewart was phenomenal in this. Yeah, you can tell she put in the work, right? Yeah, yeah, she definitely put in the work. What are you a fan of Kristen Stewart in besides this? So much stuff. Uh, Clouds of Sills, Maria, Personal Shopper. I even like Underwater, the, the Lovecraftian underwater station movie. <laughs> I like a lot of her stuff. I think she's... Funnily enough, her and, like, Robert Pattinson have become, like, indie darlings that really can't do wrong. I mean, they do, like, silly projects here and there, too. Like, she did Charlie's Angels, which wasn't very well received, but she's fantastic. She's one of my favorite actresses, actually. You didn't mention Snow White and the Huntsman. You didn't mention <laughs> any, of the, any of the Twilight movies, <laughs> the Flintstones in Viva Rock Vegas. <laughs> her first role. Yeah, you're sleeping on the real bangers. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I mean, I guess she really, really impressed me in this. Really pleasantly surprised because I don't know her from all those things you've seen her in. So I'm, I'm yeah, very, very yeah. impressed. But I know her as the Twilight Girl, right? So, like, to see her in this is like, I guess not pleasant surprise. I've always heard that she's good, but she really lives up to it here. She lives yeah. up to the hype. What, what did you think, Derek? Yeah, I agree generally. I, I think her performance is amazing in this. And, I don't know much about the royal family. I don't know much about Princess Diana. You know, like, I don't have, like, a comparison. But 
I mean, I think she embodies someone that's definitely not her. Like, you know, like sometimes I think there's actors and I've seen it in some of her roles too, where I'm like, sometimes I question like, is that really a character or is that you, right? You're or just like, doing you. Yeah. Yeah. You're do- yeah. partially doing you. But I, I definitely felt like totally kind of lost in this role. Like I lost her in this role, mm-hmm. uh, which I think is a great thing. I overall though, like I think the for me, the performance is better than the movie not to say that i Agreed. don't like the movie okay fair hard agree derek i'm glad you said that yeah like i said not to say that this movie's bad i still did enjoy this movie i think you know going in hearing about the performance i don't know why i maybe i expected like this amazing movie and and maybe that's my own expectations falsely playing with how i came out of the movie but yeah we i mean we can go into details of some of the things that i not that i wasn't a fan of but just maybe um didn't work for me but I, I, I yeah. agree. I, this performance is great. And I mean, ho- yeah, hopefully she wins. I mean, I agree that I don't know if we've seen a performance yet that can contend with this. But I mean, there are still some movies coming out that could give it a, a little bit of run. We don't know. Yeah. I mean, you've seen Macbeth, right? Yeah. I mean, Frances McDormand is running as supporting. So. Oh, she's running supporting? Okay. Yeah, I didn't yeah, know that. yeah, yeah. And that Lady Macbeth is very much supporting in this i don't think she qualifies as lead and i think that's got the it. right call got it okay yeah that's the only one that I'm, i was like thinking that might contend but i didn't realize it was supporting over lead actress i mean nicole kidman as lucille ball in being the ricardos penelope cruz in the new almodovar but i haven't heard much buzz um olivia coleman in the lost daughter people are saying maybe jennifer lawrence in the new uh don't look up on netflix that's coming out next month But I think this has got like a stranglehold on uh, at least the discourse. So yeah, and I think if anything, I mean, it's it's also an honor to be nominated. So like, can't see her not at least getting nominated, right? Yeah, I mean, also I have like a big pet peeve of Americans doing British accents. I think they're always fucking terrible. But I thought she nailed this. Mm -hmm. Yeah, she sounded pretty good to me. I mean, for me, it was a little distracting at first, just because I know she's not British. Right. Yeah. Um, but no. Yeah. Like I said, you definitely lose her in this performance, and like it, you know, by the end, it's just like it's not even a thing. Mm-hmm. It's not something that I thought about at all. Overall, for me, I wanted to kind of underline what you said. Um, I agree. I think the performance is probably better than the movie, in that I really loved the first half of this movie. Actually, mm-hmm. I just felt like it couldn't maintain that same level of tension throughout the entire thing. Yeah. Mm. Like, it kept hitting that same note, and I was like, okay, like, I want to see it either go another place or resolve. Mm-hmm. Um, and of, co- of course, eventually it does, but the second half didn't, I don't know, show as much of a deterioration as I suppose I was expecting in the beginning. I do agree. I think this would have been, like, a perfect 90-minute movie. Yeah, yes, mm-hmm. yes. It's just a little, it's a little flabby in the second half. I hate to say that, because we just saw, like... The fucking Eternals. But, like, <laughs> we're talking about, like, different classes of things, right? Like, you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. this is just, you're, you're grading this on a scale of, like, contenders, right? And so, like, for me, this, the second half is just a little flabby. Whereas I think I really, really love the first half. I do think the ending kind of saves it, though. I, I do really like the ending. The ending's weird to me, a little bit. Okay. We'll get to the ending. <laughs> All right. I, I think the movie is really, really, really good at putting you in the headspace of someone who's, like, trapped and mentally disintegrating. Mm-hmm. It's really, really, really excellent. Um, she, I mean, she says it herself, right? She says, I'm disintegrating. Mm-hmm. And then just, you can just tell she's chafing at all 
other restrictions that are put on her by this position. Her marriage is completely loveless. It's so good. And she says explicitly, and everything in the film like reinforces how trapped she is. It's really, really, really super well done. Yeah, and they really like convey that claustrophobia even within mm-hmm. like that gigantic palace. And like that giant palace does not help, right? Yeah. It's fucking great. And like I think the one scene that really like was a turning point for me was like the dinner scene. That was like really getting to like the the psychological horror of the with whole the pearls? Sit- Yeah, with, with the, the pearls, pearls yeah. and the pea soup. Ooh. And all the royals just, like, staring at her, like, no dialogue at all. That's the I, peak of the movie. Yeah. The violins really are just going, and you're like, holy yeah, shit. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's It's incredible, actually. That's really, and, and really And she, incredible. like, eats the pearl, and she, like, crunches it in her teeth. Yeah, that, that is incredible. Even the way the start of that is shot, where, like, she's really crisp in the near ground, and everybody else is all fuzzy. Yeah, And, yeah, like, yeah. you don't even really hear her husband say anything until, like... In the right pool then. hall. Yeah, his first line is not until even after that, right? Yeah. Sorry, before we get into like really specific scenes, do we want to have a basic description of what this movie is? Yeah. It takes place in December 1991, like like we said, across three days, Christmas Eve, Christmas Day, and then the day after Christmas, which is Boxing Day. And it's just basically Princess Diana just struggling through this holiday get-together with the royals, and she's just boxed in by all this tradition and this claustrophobic routine and it just really shows like her deteriorating like mental state you know like charles is like right in the midst of his affair with camilla really putting a strain on their marriage yeah i mean it's just a psychological ringer basically mm-hmm. there's so much of the movie where you know it's just her. She's the only one on screen. Yeah. It can be yeah. a very, very quiet, like, internal movie for a lot of it. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's really, really good. Um, there's, there's a whole huge swaths of the movie, especially in the first half, where you don't really see any of the other royals. They don't say anything. It's all her and, like, mm-hmm. the servants and the common people, because she doesn't relate to anybody who she's supposed to be in a family with. And her connection with her kids, right? William and Harry. Right, and her connection with her kids. Like, yeah, in that first half, there's really very little of her interaction. It's almost like you're behind the scenes of the play and you're watching people scurry around, but you're not seeing the main thing, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, that dinner is the first part where you really get to see everybody up close. Um, they skip a whole other awkward meal, which is like the sandwiches that day earlier on. They just skip right, that right, completely. Right. So it's a very interesting uh, light touch. I mean, when I was watching the movie, there was a moment where I thought to myself, like, oh, are we not going to hear or even maybe see the queen and the prince? Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Early on, I was wondering the same thing. I yeah. was like, wow, how, how bold of a decision would that be? Yeah, I mean, eventually, and I think it was a, the correct choice to kind of, like, really have the focus on her and her kids, like, really early on in the movie. And then those kind of elements of the queen trickles in, and then her relationship with the prince. So it's like, yeah, I think that's one of the stronger elements to this movie because her performance is so great that like she definitely can hold those scenes, especially the ones that are kind of basically on her own or with her kids. Mm -hmm. I agree with you, Jeff, that like, I think my favorite part of this movie is that feeling that I'm watching this like suspense thriller. Mm -hmm. I don't know if this is what he was intending, but like I definitely got what it felt like to be stuck in you know, almost trapped, right, in this luxurious prison, right? If, mm-hmm. if we were to say it that way, right, where she has to wear these clothes, she has to eat these meals, she has to gain weight. 
Yeah. That was the most thrilling part of this movie to me. And But then I agree with Amir that by the end of it, it starts to wane and like, how, how much of that really can you keep building and building and building until it just becomes like flat, right? It, it starts to plateau. It's funny that you mentioned about like the royal tradition of like being weighed and like, oh, you have to go to this this get together, this Christmas get together. And, like, you have to prove you had a good time by, like, mm-hmm. gaining three pounds or whatever, you know, or or whatever. It was three stone or something. Three pounds. Uh, definitely not three, three stone. Three stone, three stone, stone is, like, 60 pounds. Like, <laughs> it's like a lot. I clearly don't know how much the fucking stone weighs. But, but it definitely goes to, like, you know, Diana's, like, real-life struggles with bulimia, right? Like, her eating mm-hmm. disorder. And, like, you know, this movie touches upon that a lot. And the screenwriter, Stephen Knight, he talked about, like, the weaponization of of food in this movie. And when the movie opens, like I for a second thought like I was in the wrong movie or something. Right. Cause mm-hmm. like it's these people coming to uh, the Queens Sandringham estate and it looks like military vehicles. It looks like they're carrying like munition crates into the house. You think they're like going to hunker down with like weapons or something, but it's actually like the food for the feast, right? Like there's like lobster and shellfish and, and all these things in these crates. But it looks like like weapon crates. Yeah. You know? And like later on in the movie, Diana's like, she has to sneak into the pantry to like eat sandwiches and cake. Just because like the rigidness of these meals is like really imposing on her, you know? And and you can tell, even though that scene is probably within her imagination, it's like it's pretty much silent and you can tell how restrictive these events are on her. You know? Yeah. You guys already kind of talked about that dinner scene with the pearls. The scene that really grabbed me was actually right at the beginning of this movie is that the scene you're describing of the kitchen. And like the thing that grabbed me was that sign that's like hanging over the kitchen. Mm-hmm. I don't remember what it exactly says. It was like they it, can hear you or yeah, something, or something it, like that. Yeah. It basically says, you know, be quiet because they can fucking hear you. Like, yeah. And that captures the tone, captures her plight perfectly throughout this movie. Like, mm-hmm. I thought that was a great opening shot for this movie. I'm very like apathetic towards the royal family. I don't really care. And like, I don't know, this movie really like mined my empathy, at least for Diana. Mm-hmm. I feel like it paints the queen and Charles in a very negative light. I don't think there's ever been a positive portrayal of Charles ever. <laughs> I, I really don't, right? Uh, that's funny. He's always painted as like kind of a piece of shit. Well, it's because I think she's so beloved, right? Yeah. I mean, I, and so I think, you know, he always is going to get the sugar under the I mean, his affair, right? But- yeah, 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 absolutely. But you can bring home the reasons that Diana was so popular, right? Like she's clearly yeah. like smart and like vivacious and like a down to earth, normal, fun person. Like you could see why she was so well beloved. She's gorgeous and she's stylish and like, you know, when she's with her kids, you can see how much of a, like, fun, silly person she could be. You can see why people like her. Her generosity with her, I don't know, servants and, like, the normal people. Like, you can see why she's so liked. Um, mm-hmm. And you can also see how, like, a person like that is just not going to fit in. And how, like, right. ill-suited she is for this role. And it's, like, it's, and it's not just, like, that you're not allowed to do certain things. It's, like, you're not allowed to do certain things, like, where people can see. Mm-hmm. Uh, her husband says, says that to her explicitly. Right? He's like, you have to be able to make your body do things that you hate for the good of the country. Mm-hmm. Like, they don't want us to be people. I'm sorry, I thought you knew. The dialogue is very sharp, by the way. I like everything yeah. done here. Like, I, I really like that conversation between the two of them because they speak like real people mm-hmm. with like subtext and with like, I don't know, a weight of emotion in the relationship behind them. Like, it, it really, really worked well for me. 
Yeah. I think there's some things about this movie that are on the nose, but, like, I don't think the dialogue is one of them. It's really scary. Like, later on, like, she finds out that the curtains have been, like, sewn shut or whatever, mm-hmm. right? So, like, photographers can't see in, right? Or that she can't see out. Yeah, or she can't see out, right? It's a very prison metaphor, right? Like, you're locked in, no daylight. And, like, the one person she feels like is, like, a confidant to her, like, they remove her for, like, half the movie. Yeah. Right? With the Maggie character. Like I said, the movie does a great job of kind of getting that message across of like her being so trapped and just so not in control of her situation. Yeah. We talked a little bit about like the fantastical nature of the eating of the pearls and everything and and that kind of being like the gene sequence. But then I guess what didn't work for me was like near the end, like her imagination of like the, is it Anne Boleyn? The Anne Boleyn ghost. Yeah. My wife didn't like that either. I liked it. I like nah. Anne Boleyn's ghost. <laughs> for me, it just didn't work because I, I, maybe I didn't completely understand like the, the purpose of having her see this ghost that interjects right before, you know, she might've like committed suicide at her like childhood home. You guys seem to think it worked better for you guys. Like, can you can you talk about that a little bit then? I just thought it was a nice parallel. Like, the parallel works, right? Because Anne Boleyn and her husband, Henry VIII, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, he had her beheaded so he could marry Jane Seymour. I mean, it, I mean, that's one of the things that's a little on the nose, but I kind of liked mm-hmm. having that sort of ghost story. Um, it really plays into like the horror movie aspects of this movie, and and also her paranoia, right? Like, yeah, her paranoia. She's right? being exactly. accused uh, explicitly of being paranoid, and you're conspiratorial, and people right, are worried right. about you, people care about you, you know. But she's unable to get out of this, I don't know, mindset of being persecuted, which I think is interesting. There's, there's some funny lines in this too. The only real laugh out loud moment was probably when she kicks out her dresser because she's like. You need to leave now. I wish to masturbate. Yeah. Everyone in the theater burst out laughing at that one. That was very funny. But yeah, overall, not a super funny movie. Definitely like kind of oppressive and claustrophobic, yeah. as you said. And another scary moment, the fucking wire cutters. I was like, oh, fuck. Really like getting into like physical. That's all in her head though, right? The, the, yeah, it's all in her head. Yeah. But, like, yeah. I still don't want to see that though, right? Yeah, you never want to see someone like hurting themselves. And yeah, it's- and there's definitely like a through line between like her bulimia and her like weight loss and her image and like what makes her like what her role is as the Princess of Wales to be a beautiful uh, accoutrement for her husband and like the only way she can rebel is by like changing the order in which she wears the outfits like oh she's wearing the Boxing Day one on Christmas Day or something. And that's, like yeah. a, and that's like a scandal. That's like a huge problem. Yeah. And, and like those are the only little ways in which she can kind of exert her own free will. Yeah, it's really, really, really sad stuff, actually. Yeah, that is really sad, actually, yeah. So you were talking, Jeff, about the uh, like negative portrayal of Charles and the Queen. Are you guys into the, um, the, the, the conspiracy theory about her death stuff at all? No, I don't really know any of that stuff. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I've, I've heard it. I'm just not that invested, you know? Fair enough. I, I don't know. I guess the idea is that, like, like the royal family had her killed so that her husband could remarry or something like that. Sort of as a parallel to the Anne Boleyn Henry VIII thing, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, That's sort of the idea. And it's very conspiratorial. And in this movie, they give a little bit of a nod to that when they have her thinking about that, right? And they do have her explicitly mention, like, oh, they're going to try and knock me off. so that You know what I mean? Right, um, right, right. So yeah. there's that connection. Um, I, I kind of thought they would touch more on it. I, I was sort of hoping 
the movie was going to be the assassination of Diana Spencer by the coward Elizabeth Windsor. But (laughs) (laughs) there there wasn't really that much of that thread in here. I mean, I went into this movie expecting more of like a traditional biopic type, like even more in the vein of like Jackie. Absolutely. But this was this was something different, and I I really really appreciated it. I know my wife Ashley; she really kind of bristled at like the inaccuracies of like the fashion and what she was wearing. Oh, interesting. Can you talk about that? Like, are those outfits like real? All right. So I asked her to come on the podcast, but she was like, uh, "No." <laughs> she said, "No." She doesn't want to be on the podcast. She's very self conscious about like. I don't know, being on a podcast. Oh, yeah, no, I that, totally understand. That's, <laughs> that's listened to by like 10 people. <laughs> <laughs> wow, you're like really dragging like, I don't know, 90 of our fans. That's messed up. <laughs> yeah, so the big thing is her engagement ring. So her engagement ring is this giant sapphire ring that is one of the most famous rings of like all fucking time. If you know anything about jewelry, you know exactly what that ring looks like. And Ooh. this ring in this movie looked nothing like it and she was really really bothered by that <laughs> and i can't find a reason why they couldn't just get a replica why they wouldn't get yeah. it right right yeah i i don't i don't understand your wife is in the jewelry business right yes she's in the jewelry she, business, she's probably so a she little knows. more attuned to this than like the average yes. dummy. yes like i mean i wouldn't know this went completely over my head right like i didn't notice but like i feel like a lot of People who are even, like, remotely interested in jewelry, they would know right away that this ring was not, like, an accurate portrayal of what she was wearing at the time. Another thing that she pointed out instantly was how much Chanel Diana was wearing in this movie. After she got divorced, she stopped wearing Chanel completely. Oh, interesting. For a really interesting reason, because the Chanel logo is the two C's. So, like, it's the Charles and Camilla aspect Mm. that she wanted, like, a complete break from. But, like... She was wearing a lot of Chanel, even during this movie, where, like, the affair was going on. So, like, um, it seemed kind of weird. But, like, Kristen Stewart's, like, the Chanel ambassador. So, like, I'm sure that has something to do with it, too. But Ashley pointed that out, like, instantly. So, that's so that's interesting. Thing. So interesting. Yeah. <laughs> that's interesting, yeah. Can you tell us something about the revenge dress? Do you know about this? I don't know anything about the revenge dress. Okay, apparently this is the thing we'll have to... Oh, is that is that the black dress? Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 Do you know what the deal is with this? I know it's a named thing, but, like, I don't really get its significance. This is the first time hearing about it. <laughs> okay. All right. Never mind. Sorry. I, I, like I, I spent said, too much time I don't on Wikipedia, know much about Princess Diana. I believe it's the dress she wore in quote-unquote revenge after Charles admitted the affair in public for the first time. Mm. Yeah. So I, I guess there was some wonkiness with the timeline there. So I, I don't know. I don't think that's the exact dress she wore. The exact revenge dress, right, in this movie. Mm-hmm. I don't believe mm-hmm. that's what that is. I think it's a nod to it. It's really interesting. When I watched this movie, it's the same weekend that I watched The Harder They Fall. And oh. it, I, and I, I kind of tweeted out to the, the effect of, like, it, you know, this kind of being this interesting, like, double feature because it's it's like two movies that use historical figures, but not, like, in a biopic recreating some kind of story narrative right like uh, my understanding like the story of spencer is like it's based on the idea like them going to the holidays and and her childhood home is there and all the players are there but like it's not like retelling one specific holiday right Mm -hmm. no and like you know the holiday they fall is like very similar right it's not similar it's actually not similar in the sense that like it is taking all these like different characters from like black history and like putting them in this kind of fantastical natured 
cowboy story, but like, what do you guys think about that, right? You know, I feel like for years and years and years and years and years, we've seen the traditional biopic. Do you like this idea of taking characters from history, but creating almost this wholly new story? So, revisionist history, is that what you're... Well, first of all, um, the harder they fall isn't even revisionist history. That's just yeah. fucking wanton disregard for facts i feel yeah Um, is is it history i don't know if it's history (laughs) but like this is not really history either though right i feel like this is a little more i mean i like the harder they fall Mm -hmm. but like those characters just have like nothing really to do with their yeah Mm -hmm. to do with each other or their real life counterparts right Mm -hmm. they're all just like gunslinging cowboys when that's not really the case yeah i don't think but here i think there's just a little more nuance with Diana, where you're trying to, like, portray the spirit of the character and her emotional state with, like, at least a semblance of of real-life locations and real-life people that act like the real-life locations and real-life people. Yeah, True. I mean, this is mm-hmm. this is the Lion in Winter, right, for 2021, right? Do you guys know this mm-hmm. movie? No, I don't. So it's Henry II and his wife and their kids and their guests. And it's also... Around Christmas, but it's Christmas of 1183. <laughs> and it's about like the succession. Mm-hmm. So, like, mm-hmm. I guess the central conflict is not the same, but the idea of this Christmas retreat with the British royal family kind of rings true. And so it's like mm-hmm. uh, Anthony Hopkins is in it, Peter O'Toole, Catherine Hepburn. Uh, it's a 1968 movie. Mm-hmm. So, kind of the parallel, like, where it's like a fictionalized yeah. version of this royal family Christmas. Yeah. Yeah, I, mean, I definitely see what you're saying, Jeff. Like, this could be more aligned with, like, your understanding of Princess Diana. Like, this is, like, a story that, I mean, I guess besides the fantastical nature of some of the elements, like, you could definitely see, like, you know, these things could have happened, right? Um, mm-hmm. Or something like this could have played out. So, like, I I, t- I definitely understand what you're saying, that, like, maybe that comparison wasn't the best. But, I mean, this is very clearly, like, not based on a known holiday, right? So, right. Like, yeah, I, I find that interesting that... I don't know if this is like a trend that maybe we're going to see more and more, you know, because I, I don't know. I mean, I'm over the, your traditional biopic, right? Like, um, I think we saw them a lot in the 2000s and 2010s. Yeah, I'm not crazy about biopics. Um, I think they need to be doing things a little differently, like like this one, right? Mm-hmm. And like, you just see these biopics go through the motions, you know, like cover years and years upon time, like. Oh, you know, like, when they're kids to, like, their death, and they just seem to, like, drone on and on, and, like, it's a little, like, self-indulgent with, you know, the period details and the costumes, but that ultimately, like, what are you trying to say about the person that you're depicting, right? And I think this movie kind of struck at the heart of, like, Diana and her plight. And it's over the course of three days, right? And also got, like, a little... I mean, do you guys want to talk about the ending of this movie, or...? Sure, yeah, of course. Yeah, let's dig into it. All right, so I want to know what you guys thought of the ending, or like... What part of the ending? Because there's a couple of things I, I want to talk about that happens near the end of this movie. Are we talking specifically like her interrupting the shooting? Well, basically just her escape from the state, right? <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. So how did you guys read that? It's strange, because like, I think the director wants us to feel like that's somehow hopeful the point of the story is to tell her becoming a little bit more independent realizing who she is and like where she came from and like not changing who she was for this family Mm -hmm. 
and like that hopeful nature of like winning this battle over the prince and the queen like taking her children to go eat some kfc right like the story wants us to be hopeful but like i think that's where my problem kind of sometimes lies with this movie is that like emotionally that doesn't hit me the way i think it was supposed to Mm -hmm. um like it fell a little flat and like i didn't get that like crescendo of like emotions building up like yeah fuck you charles you know what i mean like uh-huh i didn't get that kind of cathartic emotion out of it i can see that yeah, I, understand I, that. yeah. I agree i didn't get that like woohoo like or maybe just knowing how it ends mm-hmm. it's just difficult to get riled up about oh wow she like made it out like it's very difficult to i don't know it, yeah it, do, it doesn't work for me and i don't know if it's because you're like unsure like, how much of this is real what is this yeah, she's breaking away, but how much of this is like... I think the ambiguity kind of deflates the catharsis a little bit, because like mm-hmm. you're watching it and you're like, wait, so is this revisionist, or is this like a slight liberty that they're taking with events, and she's going back to the royal family later, right? Yeah. And so my wife, she read it as just, you know, like, it's a temporary thing, and she's escaping for the moment. And then for me, I read it as she's pulling a fucking Meghan Markle. She's like leaving the fucking royal family. That's 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 that. That was mm-hmm. my understanding too, Jeff. That's I, I, my I, I understanding. Was your, I, I was with your your interpretation there, right? And I think that's the. I think that's the intention. Intent, like, right? Read Wikipedia or something. That's probably the intention that's on there. Yeah, I think if, mm-hmm. I, if I remember correctly. Yeah, so I, th- I think that's the idea. And I do like revisionist stuff. I like it when Quentin Tarantino does it. You know, like Once time, Upon a Time in Hollywood. Yeah, like, mm-hmm. Inglorious Bastards is the same way. I mean, is this revisionist, though? Because like, maybe this is where she decides to divorce him or something. Like, you know what I mean? Like, Yeah, but, like, the movie isn't clear in that, right? Like, it, I think yeah. you, when you bring up those examples of, like, Tarantino's movies, like, those are very clearly, like, fucking Hitler dies, right? Like, we know, <laughs> yeah. you know, there's something very, like, separated from our knowledge of history that, like, I, I mean, maybe this is a detriment in me because I don't know really much about Princess Diana. Like, this, again, just feels like a weekend. Like, it, this could have happened. Like, it's maybe too close to reality that it doesn't read as like fictional. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, so yeah, I, I don't know how to read this really at the end. Mm-hmm. I will say that I did like, I mean, my favorite part of the ending is when she does like the, the jacket switch with the dress and everything like that really worked for me. The symbolism of like, you know, taking the jacket and switching it out for the dress. Mm-hmm. I mean, I fucking love KFC. So yeah, that's I'm, I'm down for the <laughs> the prince is getting some KFC. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, th- I think part of what doesn't work is that you do understand that like, yes, like the queen and uh, Charles are like antagonists sort of, but they're also just part of a system, right? Mm-hmm. They're not like villains. This is like they're people and they're people who maybe have been shitty to her and have made like bad choices and they put her in or she's contribute to putting yourself in a bad spot but it's not like uh i don't know like woohoo fuck you like i don't know it's just it, does, it, it it's not so clear-cut i don't know mm-hmm. yeah yeah but I, I agree with you with it just going back to what you said the catharsis isn't there uh we haven't talked about this much like what do you guys think about some of those supporting characters like the sean harris like darren character who's like the head chef and the sally hawkins like maggie character mm-hmm it was such a surprise to see, like, Sean Harris for me. Like, I'm just so used to seeing him as the the guy from uh, Mission Impossible. Mission Impossible. Mm-hmm. That, like, he's just so calm in this and he's so friendly. I, ex- I expected him to kill everybody. Um, no. <laughs> Poison all the Poison all the food, food yeah. The... <laughs> the movie does a good job of, like, n- making you feel, like, are they on her side or not? But, like, in the end, mm-hmm. like, you do understand, like, these people are 
in a way trying to be kind to her and and like supportive but also knowing that like you know she should be a little bit more coy about her mm-hmm. beliefs and ideas but i liked both those rules really well i don't know what you guys think i thought sean harris really played against type here like have this really tender presence in this movie and i, I liked his performance a lot mm-hmm. he doesn't look enough like charles to me i don't know the guy yeah. uh well, well, who's the actor who plays charles i don't even know jack farthing yeah jack he doesn't farthing. make enough like charles to me mm. that's my only issue mm-hmm. with him but i think the role's very good sorry i know I'm yeah him. he was mm. good in this yeah he was good in this yeah we we already mentioned this but the pool hall scene was was really really good mm-hmm. i guess talking about the ending a little bit is that also supposed to be like revisionist in the sense of like he would have never done that like he would have never let her go with the boys against his mom's wishes. I don't know if it's revisionist. I think it's just, it's, it's a, it, it, like maybe it concocted a whole cloth. Maybe it's based on reality. I don't know. Who knows? And then uh, I guess my last question is like, what did you guys think about that whole Maggie yeah. on the sequence with her? Yeah. I want to talk about that. What's like, how'd you guys read that? Like, I guess it's like, yeah, I don't know. Um, I thought the whole Royal family stripping her of her, confidant and maggie was really effective because i really did Mm -hmm. like sally hawkins in this role i mean i'm sure she's fictionalized she's not like a real person i don't know this uh in love with diana thing Mm kind of came out of left field yeah so is that supposed to be a literal real well i don't think so yeah i i've looked this up a little bit and like people say like this is like a made-up character like there's no person that like okay but regardless of whether it's made up or not like in the world of the film are we supposed to take this as a real revelation about her confidant because it doesn't seem to have the space that that would need yeah where i was still unsure about how like i know it's intended to be a shocking moment by the character who's using it like for that purpose Mm -hmm. like like maggie knows what she's doing in revealing this as a shocking thing Mm mm-hmm what am I supposed to do with that? Like, you just... I, I mean, I read that as a moment where, like, this character that she trusts... I know, like, there's seeds that are kind of sowed in the middle of this movie where people are like, oh, Maggie's the one that told us about your incident earlier and, like, trying to, like, right, sow right, kind right. of distrust between them. But I think by the end, like, Diana doesn't believe that. And, like, this is someone that she completely trusts and, like, thinks is her friend. Mm-hmm. And I think her admitting that she loves her is this moment for her to realize like this person that i trust that i feel is my friend is revealing her true self to me Mm -hmm. right and like it gives her the power to be kind of her true self by the end and then like go and like interrupt the 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 shooting and then take her sons away because she believes that's what she needs to do okay yeah that's fair yeah and uh i don't know kristen stort herself i guess obviously this couldn't have been like you know, incorporated into the movie, but then she just got engaged to a woman herself, right? Right. Yeah. Like, now that you told me, like, she's, like, a Chanel ambassador, and, like, there's that moment, like, it does seem like, it's kind of eerie that, you're right, there's a little bit of Kristen Stewart in this movie, right? Yeah. Um, is there anything else you guys wanted to bring up? Nothing. Just, like, the overall uh, gestalt pressure of the movie, like, I really liked, especially the very first half of it. Um, I thought Kristen Stewart's excellent in it. I don't know, it's a really just well-done film, you can, like, admire the craft, right? Yes, absolutely. And, like, not in a way that you go, oh, you're pointing out the seams and it shoves in its f- in your in your face. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just really, really well done, really enjoyable, really nice to see something 
which is very competently done. Um, and yeah. I'll be rooting for Christmas Door. I, I really kind of agree with what you guys are saying. I don't know if there's anything else this year that was as impressive. Also, this movie is shot on film, which you don't see that often anymore. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, definitely. Like, set, you can yeah. instantly tell this was shot on film, and there's just something special about like shooting a movie where you can't just do like the playback and see what you just shot like two seconds ago. You mm-hmm. know, um, even if it is on like a tiny screen, right? And I think Claire Matam did a fantastic job as director of photography. Just really great blocking, amazing shots. This movie looks like it came out of 1991 a little bit, mm-hmm. right? With like the film grain and like the muted color palette. It has like a kind of like a haze to it, um, which kind of contributes to what's real and what's not aspect uh, of the story. I also want to give praise to the score. Oh, Johnny Greenwood's score. Yeah, so good. Yeah, that adds to that kind of thriller, horror vibe. Yeah, the tension. Kind of, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, the tension yeah. that we were talking about earlier. Yeah, I think this score is just magnificent for this. Yeah. Johnny Greenwood having a killer fucking year because he did uh, the the score for uh, Power of the Dog this year, too. So. Mm. Oh, he works with PTA a lot, huh? Yeah, he works with PTA a lot. Yeah. Oh, yeah. cool. Oh, yeah, he's doing licorice pizza. <laughs> wow, what a discography there with uh, PTA, Jane Campion, Pablo Lorraine, Lynn Ramsey with You Were Never Really Here. Damn, really talented musician. All right, well, if there is nothing else, I think that will conclude this week's episode. Jeff, where can people find more of your work? You can find me on my blog at strangeharbors.com, and you can also find me on Twitter and Instagram at Strange Harbors. What about you guys? You find me setting up a suspicious car crash in the uh, <laughs> tunnel in Paris. Too soon. Too soon. Whatever. You can find me at the world's okayest photos and Screen Agents Guild on Instagram. Uh, but if you like this podcast, the easiest way to support our podcast is to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, whether it be Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or any other other popular podcast apps. If you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts, please do us a favor and give us a great star rating. It really helps to get our podcasts out to more people. Yeah. We made it almost an hour without a tasteless joke, and now, now <laughs> you got to end <laughs> with a car crash and a tunnel joke. But uh, if you guys have any comments, questions, suggestions about... Our episode on Pablo Lorraine Spencer. Feel free to shoot us an email. We like reading emails out on the pod. So feel free to shoot us an email at jeff at strangeharbors.com. 